Well, good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us here today as uh, we're getting ready for the Thanksgiving season. I, I love Thanksgiving. Any other Thanksgiving fans out there? Anybody that's that, like Thanksgiving is one of their favorite holidays? All the people that like to eat are like, yes, I love Thanksgiving. Um, and, and one of the things I love to do is just reflect a little bit on Thanksgiving. And I always ask myself a, a, a couple of questions. One of those questions is, is, is what are you most thankful for? So, so turn to your neighbors real quick and tell them one thing that you're really thankful for. Okay, tell them, go ahead, just, if you don't have a neighbor, you just, just whisper to yourself. Okay, now, uh, now I want you to turn to them and tell them what, you're, what stresses you out most in life. It's, pro- it's probably the same answer that you're most thankful for. It was probably them, right? You know, uh, isn't it funny that a lot of the times in life that the things that we're most thankful for are the same things that like stress us out the most in life? We're like, how is that even possible? How, do, how am I so thankful for you? But yet at the same point, I just want to wring your neck. You know, like how do those things go together? It doesn't really make a lot of sense that they can so correspond like that. In fact, it reminds me, I was, uh, was over at a friend's house and he has quite a few kids, and the kids were running around like crazy all over the place, and, and we're just hanging out, and we're talking, and the kids are getting louder and louder and more rambunctious, and all of a sudden, my friend just, he stands up from the, he gets up from the couch, and he goes, hey, kids, turn down the drama, and I was like, ooh, I like that. Turn down the drama. Like, I got to use that in life, especially when Shayla's starting to get a little, a little rambunctious. Hey, Shayla, turn, turn that drama down. You know, like, listen, she's not here, so we can say that, okay? This is a safe place. This is, this is Las Vegas for church right now. What happens in here stays right in here. So none of you guys text her. None of you guys tell her what I say. That is the rule of this house, okay? Coastal Community Church, whatever TJ says, does not get conveyed to his wife. Uh, and, and so, like, we just turn down the drama. Like, there's, there's some moments in life, I, I'm going to guess that probably this Thursday, there's going to be a moment where family's all around and people are all around where you're just like, you're just going to want to stand up off your couch or push away from the table and the turkey and the gravy and biscuits and more biscuits and more biscuits and some pie and go, turn down the drama, it's going to be like one of those moments, and, and I don't know about you, but there are some moments in life where I, I just need to get away from the drama. Anybody else like that? Like, I just want to escape the drama. Every parent with infant right now is like holding their hand up because they're like, I just want to get away from the drama. There's so much drama. There's these kids, they're just crazy right now, and, and, and I don't know about you, but when I, when I get away, want to get away from the drama, I just want to disappear. I don't care where that is. I don't care if that's just uh, it, it go fishing, and I don't even like fishing, if that's going and in, in disappearing for a walk in my backyard, sometimes, I don't know about you, but my, my mom used to lock herself in the bathroom for hours. Uh, there's some, there's some, I saw some people's heads go down right there when I said that, because they're like, that's what I do every day. I'm just trying to escape the kids. What are you doing? I'm going to the bathroom. You're just in there sitting there sucking on your thumb in the corner wishing they would go away. It's okay. But a lot of us, we just want to escape. We just want to, we just walk away and we just think to ourselves, I wonder what would happen if I never went back. 
In fact, there's a guy that actually did this. Uh, there's a guy named Christopher Knight. Uh, he was 20 years old at the time, and life had just gotten a little bit difficult and a little bit hard, and he was living up in Maine, and one day he just got into his car, and he drove into the woods, down some dirt paths, and parked his car, left his keys in the visor, got out with a small backpack, and, and went for a walk. And for the next 26 years, never had real, any real contact with anybody else in life. In fact, uh, his story was written up in GQ. It was called The Last Great Hermit. He was the last great hermit. And for 26 years, this guy lived in the woods of Maine, which if you've ever been up north in winter and Maine winters, like this dude was backpacking and camping out for 26 years. And the only reason they ever found him was because Throughout the time, as it would become getting winter at the time, he would go and he would rob cabins of food and, and non-perishable items so he could try to survive during the winter months. And, and basically in this article, he just talks about the fact that it was just, it would get to points in winter where it was just survival. Like, if I can just make it to springtime, then I'll make it another year. And eventually, the only reason he ended up getting captured was because he had broken into so many places that finally somebody put some surveillance on one of their cabins. And when he was there, they called the police and they rushed there and they finally caught him. And when, when they caught him, he was this 47-year-old balding guy. And the only reason they could recognize him is because he was still wearing the same uh, eyeglasses that he had on in his yearbook picture when he graduated from high school. 26 years. They, and, and he had been out there so long that he couldn't even really talk because he had lost the ability to verbally communicate because the entire time in 26 years, he had said one word to one person that was a hiker that was passing by and he looked up and he said, hi. And eventually he, he got arrested and while he was in jail, this, this guy that wrote this article decided to friend him and he wanted to learn about him and, and he wanted to understand his life and why he ran away. And like, what did he learn being all by himself? Turning down the drama of life, turning down the noise of life, turning down all the people of life. Like, what was, what did he learn? And this is what he said. He said, I did examine myself. He said, solitude did increase my perception. But here's the tricky thing. When I applied my increased perception to myself, I lost my identity. With no audience, no one to perform for, I was just there. There was no need to define myself. I became irrelevant. And, and I get that to some degree. Like you just become irrelevant in that moment. Because I don't know about you, but when I have my day off, my day off is on Mondays. There'll be days where Shayla's gone when I wake up in the morning and I get up and I walk out and I turn on Sports Center because that's what every dude should do when they're by themselves. You know, just turn on Sports Center. Just watch that hour rerun over and over and over again. You know, that's, that's the epitome of being a man. And, and so, uh, just joking. Uh, and, and, and I'll be sitting there on the couch and, and I'll think to myself, like, I should get up and take a shower. I should do something. But then I look around and I realize nobody's there and I'm like, why? <laughs> Come on, guys, you feel me right there, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that's like, the, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, why should I do that? And, 
Like, and, and so can you imagine 26 years? This dude probably never took a shower. I mean, could you imagine the stink? You know, you know what I'm talking about when you're sitting there and you're like, man, what's that smell? And you, oh, that's me. Oh, I don't, you know, you like that. Every, all of a sudden you become relevant. It's not a good place, but you think, man, I'm just going to be me right now. And what he says is that he didn't find himself in solitude. He actually lost himself in that place. And when I think about our lives and, and when I think about when life is all about you and it's all about me and it's all about us, it's really easy to just lose ourselves in that moment. And, and last week, we, we talked about the fact that, that Jesus actually said there's some things we should focus on, on, on and in life. And if you weren't here last week, he said there's really two things that we should all have a focus on. And the first one is, is loving God and we should love people. He said it was all about that. Everything in life hinges on this idea of loving him and loving other people. And those two things are critical to having life and having enjoyment and really getting it. And, and we focus a lot on just loving God. You know, like, what does that really look like for our life? But I think that loving people is so critical. In fact, every statistic that you look at that's, that's going to talk about um, people finding happiness in life, the, the one thing that I, I found in almost every statistic that I looked at that is a predicator to people being happy is the relationships that they have in their life is going to indicate the happiness in their life. And so they have, they have healthy and good relationships, their happiness levels are elevated. If they have poor uh, relationships, their happiness levels are going to decrease. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at um, a, a verse out of Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bible, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 2, um, we're going to be looking at a story that I think really, really uh, shows us this. If you don't have a Bible, you can look in your worship guide. All the scriptures and notes will be in there. I want to encourage you to take notes. Uh, it, it just is opening up your posture. It's getting the right posture in your heart saying, God, I want to receive something from you. Um, if you don't have that, you can take a look at the screen. Everything will be up there as well. But we're going to look at this, this place where Jesus meets this guy named Levi. And in this scene that we're going to be looking at, we're really going to see this model of what community and relationships can do for all of our lives. And so Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13 and 14, it says this. It says, Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. So you read this right here, and Jesus invites this guy named Levi, and he goes, hey, why don't you come and follow me? And what we see right here is that Jesus has this huge open heart for people, and Jesus is constantly inviting people to be a part of his life. And, and so what we need to recognize is that if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to maximize our life, that if you're taking notes there, number one is this, we need to live with an open heart towards people. We need to live with an open heart towards people. Now, what you got to understand about the context of this verse is that Jesus is inviting a tax collector to come and hang out with him. And tax collectors in those days, just like today, people aren't very fond of the IRS. Anybody love the IRS here? Like, they're your best friend. There's one person. Okay, and they're probably lying. Uh, but, like, they, they weren't the most popular figures, but especially in Jesus' day, tax collectors were one of the most hated individuals because they were somebody who had sold out 
their people, the, the Israelites, and they had gone and said, hey, I'm going to side with the Romans who were the occupiers of Israel at the time. They had occupied the land, and they were taxing them. And they said, listen, you go and you tax the people. I don't know what the percent was. Let's just say it was 10%. You're going to tax everybody 10% of your income. Now, the way that a tax collector would earn his keep is that he could tax above that 10% to make his money. And so if he didn't like you, he might tax you at 15%. If he liked you, it might only be 12%. If he really, really didn't like you, it might be 25%. And so anything above that 10% was his. And so tax collectors had this, this, uh, this stigma about them that they were just these ruthless, shrewd people that had sold out their people. And they were, they were actually hated because they were all about themselves. And if you read throughout the New Testament of the Bible, anytime you see somebody referred to as a tax collector, usually they're put in this category with another group of people. Typically, anytime you see somebody referring to a tax collector, they also group them with the word sinner. Sinners and tax collectors kind of went hand in hand. And so these were not popular people. They were not uh, a really great category. And I'm sure that as Jesus is saying, hey, Levi, why don't you come and follow me? Somebody in Jesus' posse is like, hey, hey, Jesus, listen, listen. You don't want to invite him to come with us. Do you know who he is? Do you know what he is all about? Do you know the things that he does? We need to stay away from that guy. Like, we just need to, we need to kind of kick him to the curb and we need to continue on because we don't want somebody like that with us. And Jesus didn't listen to them because when Jesus looked at Levi, he didn't see who he was. He saw who he could become. Jesus didn't look at his past he was looking for his future. And if you were to read on and really understand who Levi becomes, Levi ends up becoming this guy named Matthew who ends up writing the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew. He ends up becoming an, an apostle, has a huge influential life, saw and walked with Jesus to perform all these miracles, saw his death and his resurrection and his eventual ascension into heaven. And Jesus calls out to him and says, hey, come and follow me and be my disciple. Now, I don't want you to miss this because I think that this is an important thing. It's easy for all of us to look at someone and see the worst in them, isn't it? Like, let's just be honest. When we look at people, it's so easy to find the faults. It's so easy to find the failures. It's so easy to see all the screw-ups and all the mess-ups in life. But when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't look at us through those lenses. He looks at us through the lens of potential. And he sees our potential and he says, hey, why don't you follow me and be my disciple? It's really easy for us to look at somebody and define them by their failures, their mistakes, their sins, and their past. But Jesus looks at somebody and he sees them through the, through the eyes and the love of God. And he's calling them and saying, man, listen, come and follow me. And be my disciple. And that's what God does. Because God has this open heart towards people. And you'll see this all throughout the life of Jesus. Everywhere he goes, he has this open heart and this open life to love God and to love other people. Because he has this huge open heart for other people. And he realizes that if you and I, we want to experience the fullness of all that God has for us, if we want to experience the fullness of happiness and satisfaction in our life, 
you and I, we're going to have to have this open heart towards people. We're going to have to have an open heart towards the, the ones that, that cause a lot of drama. And I know some of you guys are going, but TJ, didn't you just say that we want to turn down the drama in life? Isn't that the goal? And if I have an open heart towards people, isn't that going to increase the drama in my life? And, and yes, to a degree that it's, it, it is going to increase the drama in your life. But there is a tension that is there. And it's in that tension where God molds us and God shapes us and God defines us and helps us to become the person he's calling us to be. And it's only in the rough places that he can refine our lives. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Some of us can relate to that. We've all had our heart wrung and we've all had our heart broken at some point. He says, if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Man, it's such a powerful word by C.S. Lewis. And see, we are called to this personal relationship with Christ. But we are also called to this shared relationship with Christ. To have this open heart to other people. And if we're going to experience all that God has for us, and we're going to experience community, and we're going to really love other people, we've got to have an open heart to them. Secondly, in there, your note, there in your notes, we have to create an open table. We have to create an open table. And tables were a very important element of the culture in that day, particularly in cultures in, in, in not in Western civilization, but in Eastern civilization. Uh, a, a table is a very, very significant gesture. It's a place where uh, a lot of things happen. If somebody invites you to a meal, it's a big deal in that culture. And, and I learned this. I was on a missions trip, and, and we were out, and we were doing some work, uh, on some churches, we were rebuilding some churches after some hurricanes had gone through some areas, and we had this team, and, and we were in, in a foreign country, and one of the things that they told us before we went is like, listen, you don't eat food cooked by locals. Just don't do it. Um, it your, your body's not adapt to it. It's not ready for it. If you eat food that locals cook, you don't know how it's cooked. You don't know how it's been processed. You don't know how it works. There's a good chance if you eat that, you're going to end up with Montezuma's Revenge. And if you've never had Montezuma's Revenge, it's where things come out from every cavity of your body, okay? It's not good. And, uh, and, and so we're, we're there. We're working on this house. But they said, hey, listen, if somebody invites you invites you to a meal you've got to go though and they're like wait that's a catch-22 how does that work and they're like here's what will happen if somebody invites you to a meal your god the god that's with you there he will help lead you and guide you in in, in what to eat and what not to eat and so um, we're we're working on this church and the pastor of the church is like oh man it's so thankful so he invites the team that i'm leading into their house for a meal and i'm thinking oh my gosh what are we going to do and the god kind of pulls us all aside and goes hey listen here's the deal they're, they're like it's important that we don't offend this family 
family. And so I need you guys to pay a lot of attention to me as we're eating this meal. So there's, there's going to be times where I pick things up and I eat them. Those are things that are okay for you to pick up and eat. Then there's going to be some other times that I pick up things and I'm going to act like I'm going to eat it, but then I'm just going to put it down. And you've got to pay a lot of attention. Otherwise, you're going to end up offending people. And so we're, we're in there and we're in this conversation and he's talking with the pastor and he picks up a, like an ear of corn. And so he, ha- he brings it up close to his mouth and you see the rest of us, we all pick up our corn because we're starving and we got it like close to our mouth. And the, the pastor kind of turns away and he puts it down real quick and all of a sudden, like everybody just puts it all down at the same time. Next thing, he's like, he's like picking up some bread and, and he takes a bite. And so we're all like scarfing down this bread later on in the meal. Like I go to eat a carrot and he just looks at me and he goes, mm. you know, you know that leg look like you don't, you don't want to eat that. So of course I don't eat it, you know, and, and why do you go through all of that hoopla and that kind of charade? Because to sit down at somebody's table was an honor. And we wanted to respect the people. We just didn't want to be sick for days. Little side note, I did end up eating some stuff that I wasn't supposed to. I, I wasn't paying enough attention. I don't know why I'm telling this part. It's not in my notes. And, uh, and, but I'm going there anyways now. So, uh, I, so I eat this stuff, and I'm preaching at a church that night, and we're, we're in the service. Worship has just started, and worship is crazy. They're playing like a, a turtle shell as like a drum, uh, like, and they've got some other weird instruments along with like an acoustic guitar, uh, some keyboard, and uh, a tambourine. And so like they're going crazy. Worship in, in a, in, in overseas churches is like a lot longer than our worship, like multiply by five. And so we're, we're about 30 minutes into it and all of a sudden uh, my stomach drops out. You ever had that moment where you're in somewhere and you're like, oh God, what's going on? You didn't, <laughs> like that's not the spirit moving, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and I, I like, Shayla looks over and she goes, she goes, your face just went completely white. Like, like just all color dropped out. And, and I like walked to the back. I'm like, hey, where, where's the restroom? They're like, we got a drop out back, which is basically just a hole in the ground that you just squat over. And I'm like, show me where it is. And so I run out there and, uh, you know, I go into the, 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 the drop. And because, you know, I'm j- the spirit's moving again, like I'm not paying attention to details. And so like details happened. And... Uh, <laughs> And I'll go to look for toilet paper. I didn't check that detail. That's not a good moment in a third world country when you're out back at night in the drop and there's no toilet paper, nor is there light. So I did what any missionary did. I used my underwear and I went commando for the rest of the night. Man, I'll preach it up. Probably TMI, but okay. Uh, Anyways, uh, let me get back to the message here. Never know what you're going to get at Coastal. Glad you're here if you're due. (laughs) Happens every week. Okay. Now, in Jesus' culture, who you ate with was a really, really big deal. Like way bigger of a deal than it is in our culture and 
And people in those days didn't eat with people of different ideologies. They didn't eat with people of different belief systems. They didn't eat with people who, who had different friendships because who you ate with said a lot about you as an individual. It said a lot about your relationships. It said a lot about all those things. And so you just would not invite certain people to eat with you, and you would never, 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 never invite or be invited to sit at the table of a tax collector or a sinner in those days. I mean, you just didn't eat with those kind of people, like those people. Um, And it was shocking to see what happens because in verse 15, this is what it says later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I, I love that line, uh, disreputable sinners. Like, they, they weren't just sinners. They were, like, worse than sinners. They were, like, they had a bad reputation, and they were sinners. Like, all sinners don't have a bad reputation. Uh, anyways, and so, so Jesus, if he accepts this invitation, he's going to slide off the dinner guest list of a lot of important people. Like, he's, they're going to go, man, I would really love to invite him to my house, but he's hanging out with those kind of people. There's no way that I can invite him because my reputation is going to be linked to his reputation, and his reputation is linked to disreputable people, sinners, and tax collectors, and there's no way that I could do that. But Jesus doesn't really seem to care much about the social norms of that day because he's got an open table approach. And and Jesus is unique in that he's got such an open heart and such an open table approach to people that he's willing to go down. And and the Bible teaches that all throughout Jesus' ministry, that Jesus, while he was without sin, was constantly in community with people that were a lot more broken, that were a lot more desperate, that that had some um, disreputable behaviors and different things. And Jesus was with them. He, he, He embodied himself in that community because he believed that, man, God wanted to reach every single one of those people. And he knew that if he didn't stoop down to where their brokenness was, to where their pain was, to where their hurt was, that they would never experience the fullness of what he had for them. That they would never experience the grace and the mercy and the kindness. And he knew that the best way to lift somebody up was to get down to where they were and to raise them up. And it reminds me that as people and as a church, we need to be a place that is constantly uh, going out and having an open table. We need to constantly be a place where everyone is welcome, where, where it's the social norm for us to have be jacked up, messed up, and screwed up. Listen, if there's not people that are liars and sinners and, and adulterers and, and, and fornicators and, and people that are, that are stealing and all of those things that aren't a part of our community, then we're doing a terrible job of being a church. Because in every healthy church, there's jacked up people. And what Jesus does is he takes all of our screwed upness, because we're all pretty screwed up. He says, man, I'm going to unite you guys together under the banner of this idea that, man, you're going to follow me and I'm going to radically transform your life. And here's the deal, it's not about where we start on this journey, it's about where God is taking us 
on this journey. It's not about all the mistakes that we've made. It's about what will happen if we'll take Jesus up on his offer to come and follow me and be my disciple like Levi did. And see the amazing things that Jesus can do in and through our life. We've got to be the kind of church that is a constant open table for people to come and experience the fullness of God. You know, I've said it a lot of times before, we're, we're not a hotel for saints by any means. We are a hospital for sinners. We're a place where you can come and you can be healed and transformed and renewed and restored. And then you can go help other people be renewed and restored and transformed and healed as well. We're a place where we can be wounded healers. We're, we're a place where everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect and anything is possible because Jesus is in this place. You know, and last week I, I, I talked to you guys a little bit about what's coming up here on, on December 13th. We're doing our greatest gift offering. And, um, you know, you guys have one of these inside your worship God. But this thing is really all about, you know, for a long time we've been in portable locations like this. And we've just decided that it, it's about time that we find some permanence. It's about time that it's really hard to be a mobile hospital station when there's some extra surgery that needs to be done that can't be done in a portable environment. There's some extra healing that can't take place in a, in, in a spot where you set up and tear down every week. You can't do major surgery. You can't do major life transformation because you don't have the facilities and the abilities to do that. And so this year, uh, this typically goes to other things. But this year, this, this offering is going to go towards our future. It's going to go towards us finding a place where we can call home. And so uh, what we're asking you to do is we're asking you to have an, an open heart towards people and an open table. And what that means is, is that we would ask that you would pray and that you would Ask God, God, what would you have me do and what would you have me play in being a part of this, this opportunity to not be a hotel for saints but a hospital for sinners? How can we create that for people? And what would God have you to do? We're not asking you to give. We're asking you to ask and be obedient to whatever God says because we know that God is doing something in this place, and God is about to break through in some ways that we've never experienced. And I know one of the reasons he's going to do that is because we're adamant about building a community here. We're adamant about building a church that is about people. It's never been about buildings. It's never been about facilities. It's never been about services. It's always been about the one. How, what is it going to take for us to reach one more? How do we make a difference in one more person's life? And this is what I know. Uh, I, I went and I, I was looking up this survey of of college, colleges, large colleges and small colleges and the impact of relationships. And at the lar large colleges, they said that a lot of times that people could never have real, meaningful, deep relationships because it was so easy to find people that were so like-minded and so much the same. But at small colleges, because there weren't as many people that were exactly like you, it challenged you to have relationships with people that weren't of the same age, they weren't of the same belief system, they weren't of the same mindsets, they weren't of the same everything the same as you, which caused them to end up challenging one another and helping each other grow. And I think that that's really, really important when it comes to church. It's one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to be jagged and messed up and have a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, from a lot of different demographics. Because the thing about that is, is that you're going to get in relationship with some people that are not exactly like you. And what that's going to cause you to do is it's going to cause you to know what you really believe. It's going to challenge you to be better than what you are currently. 
Because you're going to open up your table and all of a sudden you're going to have some people sitting there that are just challenging thoughts that you've had all of your life without any reason. Anybody ever been in a conversation like that? You're like, oh, I don't really know why I believe that. Because that's what I grew up with. That's all I know. And I've never been exposed to anything else. And this is what I love is that we can be a place where we can come together and we can have these differences. I know some of the greatest growth in my life has come because I've sat down with people that have differences that's challenged me to know what I believe and why I believe it and what I stand on. And differences can be a powerful, powerful thing. And so Jesus right here is encouraging us, live with an open heart, have an open table, and number three there, be open to healing. Verse 16 says this, but when the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such wonderful people? It's not what it says. It says, why does he eat with such scum? Now what you gotta understand is that in Jesus' day, to be called a Pharisee wasn't like a bad thing. Like if I call somebody a Pharisee today, like they'd probably be offended by it. But this was like, people wanted to be Pharisees back in this day. Like to be a Pharisee meant, it literally meant that you were set apart. You were living your life in such a way that you were so devoted to God, that you were so in love with God that you were gonna give some of your income to him, that you wanted to teach other people to know God, that you wanted to have this dynamic relation with God. You prayed, you, you took care of people. You did a lot of things that today we would call being a really, really good Christian. You were doing all those things. So where in that process did it go wrong for them? Well, where it went wrong is when they started looking at the people that they were supposed to be serving and helping, and instead of wanting to serve and help them, they started looking down on them. They started saying, well, I'm better than them. I, I'm, I've, I know more than they do. I pray better than they do. I, I have a better relationship with God than they do. And all of a sudden, their arrogance and their judgmentalness started to come out, and they started to look down on people rather than embracing people. It's kind of like some Ohio State fans I know. You know, they, they had this arrogance. They're like, oh, we won a national championship. We're, we're the baddest team on the planet. We're, we're number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that pride, it gets up there. But all of you guys know that there's a big fall coming to Michigan State, isn't there? I love being the pastor. I get to say awesome things. Got to stay humble. <laughs> so these Pharisees, they just missed it, okay? Uh, verse 17. <laughs> Sorry, Steve, I just had to take a shot at you there. Uh, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call those, to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is what I love. Jesus came to call all of us who are aware of our mistakes, our mess-ups, our sins. He says, man, I want to start a new life. I want to help you begin that. I want you to have a new beginning. And it's for any one of us that's willing to place our faith and our trust in him and go on this journey. And in that process, the thing that will happen in your life is the hurt and the brokenness that you've experienced will begin to be healed. See, we're not just called to have a personal relationship with Christ. We're called to have a shared relationship 
with others for Christ. To love God and love others. It's that simple. It's a quote by Mother Teresa that I'll read a lot of times because I'm I'm so inspired by Mother Teresa. And uh, this is actually written on the walls of her orphanage, one of the orphanages. In fact, I think they're over most orphanages in Calcutta. And uh, it says this, People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyways. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyways. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyways. The good you do today will often be forgotten do good anyways in the final analysis it is between you and God it was never between you and them anyways makes it pretty simple love God and love others we have a relationship with Christ it's relationship with others and we're to live with this open heart towards people and create a place at the table for them. And as they come and they sit at the table, that's where the healing that God wants to do is going to take place in their life. Let's allow him to do that in the lives of our friends and our families. Let's allow him to do that in our life here today. Would you pray with me? God, we just come before you and we thank you for who you are and what you want to do. God, I know that more than anything, you want to create a place for people because it's always been about people for you, that they would know you fully and completely. And God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. You would transform our hearts, God, that we would have this open heart towards people, that we wouldn't see people as a nuisance, that we wouldn't see them as a pain. God, that we wouldn't try to turn down the drama, but God, that we would invite them into the dramas of our lives, God, and that we would create a place at the table for them so that you can do what only you can do, and that is heal. God, I pray that as we go into this Thanksgiving season, Lord, that we would not forget all that you have done in our lives, God, the the sacrifice that you made on the cross, that you gave it all, God, that we would remember all that you want to do for each and every one of us. God, it's in Jesus' name that I pray.